Welcome to today's show. If you're new here, I am Erin Deal, the founder and CEO of the professional development company Improve It. I'm also an improv comedy expert, top 1% podcast host, and keynote speaker. But on Soul Y'all, I am a recovering perfectionist turn fluencer. We're going to talk about perfectionism so much in today's episode. And I am a excited human because today's guest is going to blow your mind. So like I said, if you are new, welcome. If you are an Improve It peep, welcome back. Just so you know, quick housekeeping, my new book, I See You, A Leader's Guide to Energizing Your Team Through Radical Empathy is available for pre-order. It is launching February 20th. You can find all the goods on my website. It's erindeal.com. You can find that link in the show notes. You can buy the book there on any major retailer, and you can also get your free gift with purchase. It's a radical empathy workshop, and it is a 30-minute digital workshop. All you need is your receipt number. Put that receipt number into the website. It will shoot you the radical empathy workshop for free as your gift for pre-ordering. Now, This is January. Welcome to this new year. And uh, just so you know, as I'm recording today's show, I'm about a week after getting over the flu. So I know I have a nasal twang voice today. We are a little more nasally than usual. So just bear with me as you hear this congestion. Hopefully it'll clear up soon. But today in the whole month of January, we're talking about magnetic cultures. And speaking of magnetic I am so drawn to today's guest, Dr. Margaret Rutherford. Now, she is an amazing human. I was actually on her podcast, the Self at Work podcast, and today she is coming on our show to talk all about perfectly hidden depression. You're going to hear some secrets to healing as well as secrets to identifying if this is something you or someone you know has. So, Let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Margaret. She is a clinical psychologist with 30 years of experience and is also an author, TEDx speaker, and podcast host. Her book, Perfectly Hidden Depression, How to Break Free from the Perfectionism that Masks Your Depression, has reached thousands here in the U.S. as well as having an international impact with translations reaching from Korea to Italy, Turkey to Germany. Her highly popular podcast, The Self-Work Podcast, has been continuously rated as one of the best podcasts for mental health and depression. Now, Dr. Margaret's known for her vibrantly engaging and theoretically well-crafted presentations, whether live or virtual. Whether her diverse audiences are made up of mental health professionals, construction workers, or office managers, her passionate message is that healthy mental and emotional lives can be created through becoming more transparent with one another. Sharing who you really are with those you trust is a huge step forward in connection and good mental health. Rates of depression and suicide are skyrocketing, and there is something that we can do. And we are going to hear 
just so many words of wisdom today from Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I cannot wait for you to hear it. So let me stop my blab and, and let's dive on in. Dr. Margaret, welcome to the Improve It podcast. Thank you so very much. I'm excited. You were on mine and it was such fun and I couldn't wait to, to come into your neighborhood. <laughs> I, well, welcome. The door is open. Okay. Welcome at is out. We're so excited to have you. I know the Improve It peeps is what we call our audience are going to gain so much value from you. I'm thrilled to chat about all things because you have so much value to bring to this awesome group of people leaders. Thank you. You're welcome. And you deserve it because you have done so much great work in the world. It was fun because I was on your show yep. and I knew about you and I, you know, I looked into your show and about you and your book and everything going into your show, but it was awesome being on the other side, doing my homework on you. I learned even more. So I, I feel like you're doing such great work for so many people. I want to start today by setting a one word intention for our time together. Is there one word that comes to mind that helps you sort of guide this conversation today? Um, yes. And I think that word is, well, it's a hyphenated word, but it's one that I keep at the forefront of my own thinking and my own, um, when I'm talking to people, is self-acceptance. And so, you know, that is such a, a strong, people don't understand it. Uh, they don't understand the concept of self-acceptance. They think that acceptance is the same thing as resignation, and yeah. it is not. It's a real growth-oriented word. So uh, self-acceptance is more about recognizing your strengths and your vulnerabilities and, and, and knowing both of them and identifying both of them and realizing that neither one of them is stronger than, you know, the other. So, uh, you know, that's, that's the word I go by. What about you? Oh, I love it. Well, self-acceptance was an entire theme of this show, self-love and self-acceptance were really? entire themes. Uh -huh. So I love that. And I'm going to say, I'm going to say, because this just goes in line with our theme of the month, magnetic. That is, that is uh, my intention for today. I want people, for us together in this conversation, to number one, feel as if people gravitate towards them because they feel safe. People mm -hmm. gravitate towards them because they honor who they, the person that they're being drawn to is being honored for who they are because of what they're going through, all of their lessons, all of the things that they're learning. And together, this attraction creates this safe space for everybody to bring their full selves. I love the idea of, of magnetism because, um, you know, someone who is truly self-accepting instead of being someone, and we're going to get into this later, I know, but who is very perfectionistic and who's very accomplishment oriented. And that's how they, that's how they begin to define themselves and see themselves as successful. The more accomplished they are. Yeah. Rather than the more self-accepting they are, which means, they, yes, they can claim that they have strengths and they, they have done really wonderful things accomplishment wise, but they also know where their vulnerabilities lie. And that's what makes someone, uh, approachable. That's what makes a leader approachable when they don't have to appear, um, you know, that they are, uh, uh, 
they don't have they don't make mistakes or that you know that that kind of self acceptance that kind of an openness that kind of peace that that gives you yes. makes people so and you can create this safe space for the people that work for you oh my god i love that so much and i truly i am a testament i had a leader who created a safe space for me. I didn't love the work I was doing. I was working in recruiting. I think you and I've talked about this before. I was working in recruiting and I didn't love the job, but I loved the person I was being led by so much that I stayed in it for five years because she saw me for me. She saw my strengths. She honored my weaknesses and she celebrated myself as a human being versus the person doing the job. And that I think goes hand in hand with what you talk about in your book. And our theme for the month here on the show is all about magnetic culture. And I thought having you right now is the perfect time. We're starting a new year. It's January, 2024. Happy new year. Happy new year to you. Oh, okay. So I want to start, you wrote this amazing book called Perfectly Hidden Depression. Can you give a bird's eye view to our Improve It peeps of what you mean when you say perfectly hidden depression? Sure. Um, Let me tell you a little bit of a story. Promise one won't go on forever, but I wrote this post in 2014 and thinking about the people that had come into my practice over the years and had denied depression. In fact, they were sort of horrified that anyone would think they were depressed. And I wrote this post called The Perfectly Hidden Depressed Person, Are You One? And it went viral. And when it was on the Huffington Post, I got hundreds of emails asking me questions about it. It's like you're in my head. How do you know this is going on? So I investigated, and that led five years later to the publishing of Perfectly Hidden Depression, because I never found I found certainly wonderful work about perfectionism and covert depression. And Brene Brown, of course, has written a lot about shame and vulnerability and perfectionism. But even she didn't go so far to say there's a real danger here, not just to the fact that you might be caught up in this cycle that can be damaging, but you can be caught up in a cycle that actually without you even realizing it is bringing you closer and closer to thoughts of ending your life because you don't know any other way out. And so, um, you know, so I, I wrote the book because I wanted to, for people and clinicians, by the way, our mental health profession to realize that these kinds of folks, people who have learned as a protective strategy, probably in their childhood, to camouflage their emotional pain with a lot of accomplishment, with having looking like you don't have any problems in the world by not talking about. And so they have shoved all this emotional, mm, uh, sometimes people don't like the word trauma, that I'm not traumatized, but whatever it happened to you that caused emotional harm, that they have pushed that away. And they they're, they're the kind of people that will look to you and just say, well, I'm just, you know, I I just look forward. I don't look into the past or if I started crying, I'd never stop or something like that. Anyway, so the point of the book is to help people recognize that that is depression. It's just not going to look like classic or traditional depression. And it's, and the, another 
problem with it is it's not going to be diagnosed as depression often. It's going to be diagnosed as anxiety or something like that. So that's a huge problem. And I wanted to point it out. And I don't know, I thought, well, if nobody's going to point it out, then here I am, a therapist in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and nobody knows who I am, so I'll start a podcast, <laughs> and then I'll write now. a book, and there you go. You know, it's like, okay, uh, uh, it, it's a very, I cannot tell you the amount of emails that I've gotten from people who've said, my wife is like that, my husband was like that, but he killed himself, or my child is like that, how do I help them? Or whatever. So this is a, and perfectionism is, I mean, it is going at a sky high rate. It's every, the perfectionism reports, self-reports are increasing every day. I believe it. In a society that is so reactionary and now so visible with social media and the way we show up. I'm so grateful that social media did not exist until I was out of college. I'm so grateful. Oh my God. So grateful. So grateful. I love that definition so much. I know so many people listening can relate. I can relate. I have now been very vocal about my healing journey, but I think I was a perfectly hidden, depressed human who Mm -hmm. saw themselves. You got that kind of energy that you're very extroverted or seemingly so. And, you know, it's just you're, you're you're a motivator and you're funny and all that can go on. And you're, you're, you're hilarious, in fact. Um, but at the same time, you know, what is underneath there that needs attention? And um, so I, I um, yeah, and I was honored to do a TEDx this year, this past year, and it's reaching, it's doing very well, almost 40,000 views at this point. That's- so. Amazing. And it's because so many people need this conversation. So many people. And I'm so glad to have you here, especially knowing our audience is filled with people who lead teams. Obviously, we know that this is a conversation from starting with adolescence into adulthood, but just high level, how does identifying this perfectly hidden depression in team members, how does that enhance the overall awareness of it, how does that enhance company culture? How does that impact company culture? Great, great question. Unfortunately, perfectionism is highly regarded <laughs> in the corporate culture. I mean, oh yeah, you know, she's the one who always gets her work in early or he's the one who spends, you know, is here until 11 o'clock at night making sure that things are finished. And so we reward people and it's a very positive trait. The problem is that if, let me, let me make sure I say this. I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater as that old saying goes. Um, There is a kind of perfectionism that's called constructive perfectionism that is very healthy. It's about enjoying the value, inherently wanting to do well, inherently wanting to, if you're going to do it, do it, you know, it's about creativity, generosity, curiosity, a desire to give back, desire to do well, to provide well. That's called constructive perfectionism. Destructive perfectionism is a whole different animal. And destructive perfectionism is much more about my orientation is to tasks and I leave one task and I go to another and I go to another and that's where I get my sense of worth. Constructive perfectionists get their sense of work out of the process, worth out of the process of doing things well. 
destructive perfectionists get their worth from the, the, the task is achieved. I did it better than everybody else. And now I go on to the next one. And there's a wonderful man in Canada named um, Gordon Flett who says it's like being on a treadmill where you have no control over the speed or the incline because the next task comes and the next task. And so you're always going from achievement to achievement to achievement. And if you stop your, all those feelings that you are, you've got compartmentalized way over in your psyche somewhere are waiting for you. Yeah. So, um, you know, that is really uh, the fact that you want to really see in yourself and in your employees or your colleagues, is this person, uh, are they, are they a constructive perfectionist or is this how they're, you know, the fact that they really, you never see them, uh, sad. You never see them look like they've got something on their mind that they, they're just always work oriented and, and achievement oriented. And, and that kind of awareness, you just might save somebody's life, actually. Yeah. I love that. And I know somebody, as you were talking, I was identifying, identifying, identifying. Just there's sure. so many people who you know who suffer from this and suffer silently because they're not even aware themselves. They, great point. Yeah. Great point. Because this is just me, right? That's what they'll yeah. say to themselves. Well, I don't know what you're talking about. This is just me. Um, and what do you want me to do? You know, take a hundred thousand uh, dollar cut in salary. And so I can go play in the park with my kids. I'm not going to yeah. do that. Right. I mean, they justify it and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it sometimes they are so locked into this way of being, but it was so interesting, Aaron, because when I wrote the book, again, these people said there was something about the term perfectly hidden depression. I'm not just depressed. I am perfectly hiding it. And I take pride in that. I take relief in that. No one knows except, except it is so incredibly lonely. Yes. I, I, I interviewed 60 people who volunteered. I was still trying to figure all this out. And I asked for anybody who was reading my stuff on my blog and if did it, did it resonate with them? And I had everybody from brain surgeons to advertising execs to motivational speakers to grad students, um, reach out to me. And I asked them why, and I spent like two hours on every phone call with them, asking them what their childhood had been like. And, you know, I said, why are you participating in this when I'm a perfect stranger? You heard about this term perfectly hidden depression and you're opening up to me. You're locked away in your office. You're out in your, your backyard whispering because you don't want anybody to know. And they all said, it's because I would never want anybody to live the life I've lived. I have been Mm. so incredibly lonely. Mm. No one knows me. No one yeah. knows me. And oh so you talk gosh. about that magnetic culture. Mm. What if you've got someone who really is very achievement oriented or is doing very well, but that part of being a part of the social part of it, being part of the personal part of it, they don't know how to do that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So many thoughts on that. And I think it was funny because you said perfect stranger, but this perfect, oh, that's right. Depression. That's right. You know, all of it's perfect. And it's so interesting to me when you think about why people don't address this 
And I think a lot of it stems, like you said, when we talk about magnetic culture, people are very afraid of being ostracized, of pointing out their flaws, of leaning into what not what may not make them quote unquote perfect. So what could a leader do just on their own team? Because if we're tasking an organization, I think that's a very big ask. But let's say you're a leader, you have a team of five people, or what could you do as a leader to make it an acceptable space for people to talk openly about their mental health? Well, I think you have to model that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, a, a man comes to mind that I worked with years ago that had come in with his third wife. And um, he really wanted to work on things. He was very distraught. This marriage was ending and I could tell she had one foot out the door and she did. Um, she got in another relationship practically before they were divorced. Um, and he looked at me and he said, I've got to figure this out. None of the women that I, were, I was married to knew me at all. I never talked about me at all. And now I've dragged my children into this. And he said, you know, I have issues with my dad that I've never talked about. I have issues with the way I was, I was reared. And he had been, he had been fighting this shame and these inner voices of, you know, you know, he was so determined to be successful that he wasn't paying attention to anything else in his life, including his children. So, and actually people were asking to get off his team because he was so demanding and harsh and he would get angry, had terrible anger problems, not terrible enough to get him fired, but terrible enough for people to, to be uncomfortable in his presence. He went to his supervisor. We talked about it and he, I said, this is a good idea. And he went to his supervisor and asked them to get him some training in how to uh, lead more collaboratively and more, or just differently. And he took that training. He continued to work with me. We did a lot of, a lot, maybe six months every other week therapy um, so that he could work out a lot of his feelings about his childhood. And he talked about it at work mm. because he wanted therapy, <laughs> you good, know? Good, yeah. I, I want, that's what I mean by model. And so, and there are probably some people shaking their heads and go, oh, I'll never do that. You know, there's some therapist telling me that I got to get into therapy. You know, I'm going to go study my belly button as my daddy used to say. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to study your belly yeah. button. You just, yeah. It's all about making changes that are going to make your life better. So anyway, and using therapy as a consultation. Um. Well, he called me about, oh, I don't know, six, seven months after he had left. And he goes, Margaret, people were asking to be off my team. And now they're asking to be on my team because he knew how to be interested in the people. He had learned what his own defenses were and how they were getting in his way of actually being his best self and encouraging other people, which does not mean to be perfect, to be your perfect self. It means to be. You know, I know what my strengths are. Like after a committee meeting, for example, or I, when it's over, instead of saying, well, okay, I'll get back with you and I'll summarize everything we've done and, and uh, tell you where we're going next. Instead, you sit back and you go, listen, I have my perspective on this meeting, but does anybody have any ideas that, you know, 
maybe the direction we should go next? Instead of leading like, I know the right way, can you lead by inviting other people's ideas into the discussion where everybody feels empowered um, and and that you're you're supporting them in that? So my husband says I wouldn't survive in the corporate world one day. So <laughs> yes, you would. Yes, you would. So, no. you know. I'm not sure how that's going to be perceived, but I, I've seen it work with other people. Here's the deal. The corporate world needs you because the corporate world knows it needs to change. And it's changing with, with conversations like this. And I think that conversation you had with this gentleman is such a testament to your work, to your teaching. It's also interesting because the whole time you were you were describing it, it's what we teach at improv. Yes, and. Really? Like, you're literally... Telling people, allow other people's voices to be heard. Allow them to contribute. Don't have all the answers. Collaborate co- effectively as a team. And it's so beautiful to hear that because the work that we do is so aligned. I also think that the work that we're doing and both saying the same thing but differently is so necessary right now because people want to be led by somebody who's transparent and authentic and giving us this space to be a full human changes the game. And I think one of the things that I love that you said is, you know, it's like sort of taking off the mask. And I think 2020 really did that for a lot of people. People started to break down those walls because we started to look into their homes instead of mm-hmm. seeing this big <laughs> boardroom, you know, we're on yeah. Zoom seeing their office and their pictures. And and it really changed the game for a lot of people. And I want to ask you this because I think a lot of leaders listening might be thinking to themselves, okay, I have a couple people who I think I... I'm recognizing there might be something perfectly hidden there. What are some of the signs or the signals that I should be keeping uh, keeping in mind? Yeah, um, I the book um, has ten traits of perfectly hidden depression that I they are not empirically validated. Uh, I'm a clinician. I'm not a researcher, but certainly I've, I've also been a clinician for 30 years and I run by these traits, you know, run these traits by other people. Um, you want to look for somebody who probably exceeds their own uh, a burden of responsibility. They take on too much. You want to focus in on someone who again, just never seems to have a bad day. Uh, we all have bad days. We all have days that, you know, and, and they'll say, oh, you know, they, they just don't reveal anything. You, you, you know their mother died and they come back the next day to work, um, you know, rather than taking the time to do the work. I mean, you know, that's going to take a long time. But how are they uh, how are they working through their own emotional life or do they not even seem to have one. Now, I know there there are other issues, um, you know, people with with um, other kinds of personalities. I mean, I'm not knocking stoicism. Don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking resilience. Those are, you know, resilience especially is a very positive thing. But resilience and courage also, true courage and resilience talks about that, yes, I'm scared, or yes, I'm grieving. I'm just, you know, Nelson Mandela said, if you're going to honor me, don't argue me 
just for my honor me just for my accomplishments, honor me because of the many times I've either been pushed down or fallen down and I've gotten back up. So, you know, working through and admitting those times and revealing those times that, you know, this is really tough and I'm having a hard time managing this. There are many people who will never tell you that. And, and uh, again, some corporate uh, um, environments, zeitgeists, are that they don't really promote that. But I guess you and I are both promoting that it would be a good idea to, you know, you don't have to sit around in a circle and, and sing Kumbaya, but you do, you know, have ways that your colleagues can begin to express what's really going on with them safely. Okay. I love this. It's so funny. And I'm sure people listening can think of at least one person that they know who has some or most of these qualities that you're describing. I mean, I'm literally nodding my head with, you know, as you're talking, thinking of several people. What is a safe way to approach these people authentically to show I care about you as not just this human being doing the work, but as the human being, what is a safe way to approach them as a leader? Wonderful. Another wonderful question. Um, you know, I get this question a lot, actually. Yeah. I get this question of, I, I think my wife, I think my friend, I think my whatever is going through this, and how do I approach without making them defensive? And I think first you you say, I really value you as an employee. I see what you do. I see how hard you work. Uh, you make a real difference here. But I also see some things that give me con- some concern. Would you be willing for me to talk to you about those? Because that's what the person fears the most. They fear that if they let anybody in, especially their boss, <laughs> Um, that they will lose ground, that they'll, they'll, they'll lose their viability, uh, they'll lose their status. Uh, I worked with a hotel manager one time that she said, if anybody realized how much I struggle, I'd be fired. Yeah. And so, uh, she, and she, she didn't have severe, I mean, that was all, that was not rational. You know, she, um, so, I think you invite them to have a conversation with you. And then if they say, you know what, I just, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, And you say, well, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but if, if you ever want to talk about it or, you know, we, I could give you the name of somebody in the out in community that I hear is a good therapist. And sometimes the EAPs are a little, a sticky wicked for people because people fear that if in the employment assistance program that there are therapists there, but you know, Oh, does that get back to the boss that I'm using? Right. The AP? right. So if you've got good insurance in your company, hopefully you do, then you can say, I've got a couple of names. Is you're trying to plant seeds that you see that. And then if they still don't respond, you go back. Yeah. Uh, you go back two or three months later and you say, you know, I read this book called Perfectly in Depression. Yeah. <laughs> or I heard this woman speak. And and so I just, I don't know. I mean, what do you think? And you just invite a conversation because they are very armored up. Yeah. You know, and so you don't want to go, okay, I know there's something in there that you're not talking about. I mean, that's, totally. you know, 
that's going to be like this. Yeah. Red flag. So very gently. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. On the flip side, so let's say someone is listening and they are identifying with all of these characteristics and traits, as you mentioned. How can they let their guard down to have this conversation? Is there some sort of suggestion or a mantra or a practice that you could share that would allow them to feel at ease having this conversation with a leader or a friend or a parent? Is there something that you could tell them to make them feel like it's safe to let down that armor? It is... um... You know, I I will say that, you know, I have an advantage being a therapist because usually when someone walks through my door, they are at least somewhat ready (laughs) to look at themselves. If you do this in in the break room or over lunch or whatever it is, it can come as a surprise and a jolt. But I think the person that may be listening that says, yeah, I'm one of those people. I'm, I'm real good at focusing on other people. I mean, I remember birthdays. I, you know, I'm the cheerleader in the office, but no one really knows me. That you find one person, just one. It could be a friend from high school that lives in another city. I don't really care who it is. Whoever you feel like could be safe and you say to them, I have something that I've never told anyone. and." I want to tell you about it, but I'm not quite ready. Would you be open to hear it? You don't have to blurb. You don't have to say what it is. You have to maybe talk about process. I have some things that I don't share with other people that I struggle with. Would it be okay if I talked to you? And they, well, of course, of course. What is it? I'm not ready to talk about it yet. You take little baby steps, little baby steps. Um, I remember a woman I worked with who said, well, yeah, we have a group of women. We're all career women, and but once a year we make time for one another and we go on a, a, a trip together. And I said, oh, so do y'all like talk about, you know, yourselves? And goes, well, she said, you know, I have a son on drugs and I've never, that struggles and I've never, never said a word. And I said, why not? She goes, we just don't go there. We just have a good time. We drink wine. We have a good time. We have nice dinners. And I said, so who do you, do you go up there by yourself? She goes, no, I travel with this one person. I go, well, why don't you have this conversation with her? Well, what happened was not only did the woman say, oh, me too. I have plenty of stuff I don't let myself talk about in here. And they started talking about it. They went to the group and said, you know, we love all of you, and we've known each other for a long time, but we're kind of not talking about what's really going on. And they all kind of went, oh, it's like, it's like finally, you know, what in the Wizard of Oz when the curtain is removed? Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Guy, you know, yeah. he's back there. He's yeah, back there. you know, yeah. there's things going on that's back that are back there that are influencing you that you're trying to hide. Yeah, and and yet, you know, and so they became this group that instead of their texts being about their text chain being about more frivolous things, I got a raise or you know, Merry Christmas or Happy Hanukkah or whatever it was. Then they're like, oh, yeah, 
it, it, it changed the whole tenor of this group. And it took one person risking, I don't talk about what's really going on. And the other person went, well, I don't either. And I'm on an antidepressant. You are? You know, <laughs> it's like opening up just a little bit. And then you can invite other people to do it. And it, it instead, you know, one of the things, Erin, I've been very open about, I have uh, panic disorder. I have performance anxiety. I have had anorexia. I do not anymore, but I still struggle with the thinking. And I've been married twice before. My third marriage has lasted 33 years, so I guess that's not too bad. I finally got it right. But I, I've, I openly talk about that. And I was so scared to because I thought, oh, who's going to listen to a psychologist whose life was screwed up as mine is or has been? And yet I think, well, you know, I guess they can say, no, nah, we don't want to listen to her. Or they can say, well, good for her. You know, she's willing to talk about what her struggles have been. Um, it doesn't make me any less of a whatever accomplishment I've made. It doesn't make that any less. It just, it's an addendum. It's an and. I am a PhD. There are three letters after my name. And I've been married three times. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I love that. I want to applaud you for that right there. Thank you. Is, yes. Thank you. There's rounds of applause right here in my microphone because. I'll applause that, myself. Yes, encore. Because it took me a long time to get there. Believe me. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I, you know, I see that in your work, and that's why so many people relate to you, and that's why they, I think, people feel comfortable. Same here. I mean, honestly, for about probably thirty four years of my life, thirty, yeah, thirty five years of my life, I was, I was the perfectly hidden. Un- unaware of my own mm-hmm. anxiety, human mm-hmm. being. Mm-hmm. I, I, cl- mm-hmm. I would say it was a lot of anxiety that could be probably classified as depression at certain times. And when I finally had to go through some, I, I, I will say I didn't have what I would call traumas in my early years, but they were, they were tiny traumas, tiny T's. All my big T traumas happened from 36 till 40. Right. I, finally was like, there's no way I can't talk about this. Like, this is, this is like what is happening. And if I don't talk about it, A, I don't feel like I'm being genuine, but B, what happens if I don't talk about it? And my talking about it could save somebody else. Exactly. And I'm so grateful for what you've done because you've opened the door and you've paved the path for many people to do that in your life, in your community. And I hope the people listening to this show know that that's what we do. We go, we go all the way. And that's, what I want to encourage people here to do is to do that as leaders and to do that with their teams and to kind of break open that curtain, like you said, and see what's behind it because there's so much more. What have you found now that you've been more open with your community about your own struggles? What have you seen from your community in doing that? Mostly the comments I get are, you're just very real. I appreciate that. And certainly, you know, know, it's not that I've set myself up as an expert and I also don't have any struggles myself. I mean, again, I'll say it's an and. I've done, I've been a therapist for 30 years. I know something about doing therapy and and yet I also have my own vulnerabilities. And so it's, the, the response has been, oh, and, and again, that's my definition of self-acceptance, my working definition. Who knows, in another 10 years, I may have a different one. Um, but 
I, I just think that's so important. And, and again, I'll go back to, to what, you know, this magnetic culture you want to talk about. People are pulled toward people who um, are comfortable with themselves. And again, that's you're comfortable in your strength. You know what those are. Um, you claim those. And you know, at best, we all have blind spots, but you know pretty well what you struggle with. Your friends kid you about it. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I'm very impatient. And my son will say, Mom, would you just chill? <laughs> and it's not, it, it, it makes me unpleasant sometimes because I'm, you know, I'm into time. How much time is this taking? You know, it's ridiculous. And so um, it's, it's something that I, if I accept it, then it kind of loses its power for me. Yeah. Because I don't get defensive about, oh, yeah, I know I'm really impatient sometimes. So I, I, that modeling is something that is really scary to do, and I completely honor that. At the same time, well, true connections are, there's just nothing like them. Really deep, true connection. You're not going to be lonely. That's <laughs> and, it. Yeah, you're not going to be lonely. Oh, my God. I love that. Okay. Well, this is the final question, but I could literally talk to you for forever because I have so many insights from you. You're just this fountain of knowledge. And I know- Oh, yes. I'm I'm mother wisdom. You are mother wisdom. (laughs) I'm feeling it. But this one is, this is the question I ask all of our guests. We say it and prove it. Your it is that thing that you bring to the world. It's your purpose. What is Dr. Margaret's it? Well, of course, I have to come up with the right answer, right? Because it has to be perfect. Yeah, it has to be perfect. It has to be perfect. <laughs> what's my what's my it? This is for myself or what I want to try to Either make. way. Either way. What I want to improve is my, I'm always working on this, but I think as I age, it's even more important because I'll be 70 this year. Um, is that I want what I value inside to show in very real ways in what I do and what I say and who I am and in my choices. And sometimes I still have a struggle with, am I really living out those values? Um, Because I get scared or I get um, afraid. Well, that's the same thing. Or... Um, you know, as you age, you realize I've got a lot more years behind me than I do in front of me. And so you, I think this becomes for me even more important because I don't know how many years I've got in front of me, but I don't want those years to be, or that time, there's my time management thing, yeah. um, or that time to be, mm, not every moment can be a deep, vulnerable moment, but I don't want it to I, I want it to make to, to make sh- to make sure that I am living a life that is truly reflective of what I care about, and what I care about is people learning their value and me learning my value, and that that's not based on accomplishment. Oh my God! It's like that you just jumped in my journal from two days ago. Yes. Okay. Dr. <laughs> Margaret. Yes. That is so beautiful. And by the way, 
you look amazing. Whatever you're doing, I want the I want the lotion. I want the cream. I want all of it because I had no clue that you were turning seventy. And also, that right there is such a testament to the work that you're leaving on this earth, on this planet, your legacy. So I see it in everything you do. Your self acceptance is shining. There's your word right there. Well, and thank you. Drawing people to you left and right so magnetically. And I'm so Thank drawn you. to you. I'm so glad you're in my life now. You're in the Improve It Peeps life. And just please continue to do this work because it's so necessary. It's so important. And you're changing so many people's lives. And I hope today really resonated with our listeners. And I hope that you took something from it and put it into action. Dr. Margaret, tell everybody where they can find you before we head out today. I have the original uh, website name of drmargaretrutherford.com. <laughs> yes, good one. And you can find the Self Work Podcast there. You can also find it wherever you listen to podcasts. The book is available um, everywhere. It's available in seven or eight different languages. Uh, if you're German, it's <laughs> available in Germany uh, or Italy or Korea or Turkey. Um, so it's cool. in Dutch. It's in, yeah, it's in a whole bunch of different languages. So anyway, you can find me lots of places and then email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. I love it. And we will link to all those things. Thank you so much for being here. Erin, thank you. Improve it, peeps. What a conversation. I hope you gained as much today as I did from Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I am so happy and honored to have had this conversation. And here is your homework. If, as she was listing any one of those traits that classified somebody as having perfectly hidden depression, if you know someone or you identified with one of those traits, I want you to connect with a trusted advisor, whether that be, like she mentioned, somebody that you've known for a long time, whether it be a parent, a friend, a leader. I want you to seek help or seek help for someone that you love. That's it. Let's change lives with this show. Send this episode to somebody who you think it could benefit or save this episode for yourself. I want to see you believing in you this year and prove it, peeps. I want you to know that you have what it takes to be the best version of you possible. And what that takes is a deep and honest look at the emotions that we might be repressing. I believe in you so much. I'm so excited for your journey. If this episode resonates with you, again, please share it, rate it, review it, and let's continue to change lives with this show. You know what I'm going to say. Keep failing, keep improving, because this world needs that very special it that only you can bring. I'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.